This is Horns Up. I'm Animesh. And I'm Peter. And we're celebrating the reissue of Conditioned Human by Mind Snare on this episode. The album was originally released in 2008 and has been reissued this month by Subcontinental Records. The reissue sports the same nine songs, no edits, but with a shiny coat of audio paint on it, courtesy a remix and remaster by one of India's best sound engineers, Anupam Roy, who coincidentally also worked on the original release. Now, this reissue naturally had us excited because Conditioned Human remains one of the bright sparks from the Indian metal landscape in the 2000s. Released originally by Sahil Makija's Demon Stealer Records, the album gained not only critical but popular appeal as well. In fact, I think it's safe to say that Conditioned Human is perhaps one of the few albums by an Indian act that both Animesh and I are fans of, right? Absolutely. But it's not only us. The reissue prompted us to get nostalgic. And so here's a couple of bites that will also help explain why the album and the band have continued to be remembered. First up, you'll hear Sahil Makija, aka the Demon Stealer himself. And following him is Sohan Mageshwar, an IT nerd, but more importantly, a fellow metalhead. My first introduction to KP actually was in 1998 or 1999. He had come to Bombay uh, for the IIT festival as the guitar player of Trinity. And I just remember seeing this tall, lanky guy with long hair just flying on the guitar. And I was blown away by his precision and his skill. I met him, I think, a year or two later at Domination, the Death Fest at Raz, where he was walking around selling his solo album, Mind Snare. At that time, it was Mind Snare with a M-I-N-D, not a Y. And I remember listening to that record and it just kind of went over my head at the time. But, you know, over time, I kind of sort of understood what he was doing with the sound of the band. And I remember finally seeing them, I think, at NLS uh, and... Watching Yasmin play the drums just, again, blew my mind. Uh, I think there's a reason Yasmin is still remembered today as one of the best extreme metal drummers to ever come out of India. And, you know, she's an absolute legend. And I'm proud that I can call them all my good friends. Um, It's just been amazing to see the way they evolved as a band. I've seen them through all their different lineups and then finally when the album was ready uh, it was an absolute honor for me to be able to release it on Demon Stealer Records uh, it was an incredible sounding album and I I know there was a lot of discussion about them recording uh, without the metronome and you know what if there was one band that I thought could pull it off it was Mind Snare uh, that album brings back a lot of memories the songs on that if you listen to them today they still sound as good as they did back then so yeah it was it was great to be associated with the band and I'm happy to say that they're all good friends of mine fabulous musicians fabulous people hello I'm Sohan from Bangalore The mid-2000s was when I basically started going to a lot of live gigs, uh, everything from engineering college fests uh, to ones in like the shady bars in Bangalore. And honestly, I've been to gigs where there were more people on stage than in the crowd, but you know, that was part of the fun. Uh, My memory of Mind Snare is through 
these countless live gigs, you know, these small metal fests and uh, gigs in these engineering college fests where I'd actually see them play live. Uh, in fact, one of the most memorable ones was at IMB back in 27, sorry, 2007, uh, with a bunch of other great bands like Kryptos and Bayanakmoth, if I'm not mistaken. I think what uh, what really stood out was that they were fast, they were brutal, they were technical, and all of this with just a three-piece band. And they were always super tight on stage and sounded like crisp, I think. And that leads to the fact, I mean, that's from the fact that these guys are just really, really talented musicians at the end of the day. Uh, my fa two favorite tracks on Conditioned Human are Use the Pain and Layers of Hypocrisy. I think, again, I like these tracks the most is because it takes me back to the times I used to go to these live gigs. Uh, I can still hear KP introducing, you know, Use the Pain uh, on in a live gig uh, with that uh, intro. And then, you know, it really gets you with like, with like the brutality and the riffs in later in that song. Uh, for me, the mid-2000s was this really nice time in the Bangalore uh, rock and metal scene. You know, it was this real sense of community, a lot of live gigs happening. And for me, Mindsnap formed an important part of that scene. So I'd be forever grateful for that. Uh, good luck and congrats on the remaster. And if there's a reunion gig happening anytime soon, I'll be there. Cheers. Now, naturally, we wanted to talk to Mindsnap themselves, but that took some work. I mean, the band as such has been defunct for quite a few years and the three members are spread across the globe. Well, two of them, guitarist and vocalist KP Krishnamurthy and bassist Sandesh Nagraj are in America, while drummer Yasmin Claire Kazi is on the other side of the sea. Still, the power of emails helped and we managed to chat with both KP and Sandy. Yes, we did try to get the three of them together, but well, let's just save that thought for another time. Let's get into it then. Here's KP. Hi KP, welcome to Horns Up. Where are you at the moment and what's keeping you busy these days? Hey guys, uh, I'm in uh, Los Angeles. Uh, I've been here for like around a dozen years now. Uh, what's keeping me busy is our uh, child, uh, one and a half year old uh, girl. And uh, yeah, there's not much time for much else. But um, I work at uh, Fender, the guitar manufacturer. It's a pretty freaking awesome place to be. And um, yeah, that's pretty much it. Uh, other than riding uh, motorcycles uh, quite a bit. You know, we're here to talk about the reissue of your album, Conditioned Human, yeah. and it's like 13 years. I'm saying 13 years. Does it really feel like it's been 13 years? It feels like it's been more, honestly, for me at least, because a lot of the songs on that album were written and uh, played live for many years before we actually recorded it on that album. Like, uh, for example, uh, Layers of Hypocrisy or something like that was, I'd say 2003-2004 is when we originally made the song and started playing it. So that feels like an ancient song. I actually used to hate playing that song even when we used to play live because it was an old song and we used to keep playing it. A couple of the songs are approaching 20 years. It does feel like a long time. I'd like you to try and take us back to 2008. That's when the album released. What was the Indian metal landscape like at that time in, in the way you saw it? And what was the scene at the Mind Snare camp? What kind of headspace were you guys in? The way we managed to get our music out in the scene that 
we, uh, you know, ended up existing as a part of was uh, mostly through college sponsored events and competitions and stuff like that, which is, uh, I, I've been out of touch for the last 10 years or so, so I don't know whether that's still one of the main draws for many bands to come together. Unfortunately, no, man. No? Yeah, that's like a- DJs have taken over band pro nights and all ah, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's terrible. But anyway, that that was, I think, the major driving factor behind things because you could complete imbeciles and still get to play in front of like a few hundred people. And that allowed you to fix what was wrong with your playing, with your songs, with your band, you know, uh, sound, you know, all that stuff. And eventually get to a point where you actually made some sense when you went uh, on stage and tried playing your music. So when we released it, we'd kind of gotten through a bunch of those kinds of shows. We played a lot of uh, independently organized shows like Domination, the Death Fest a couple of times. Uh, Sahil organized uh, Resurrection a few times and uh, Independence Rock. Uh, those are some of the bigger ones, but uh, a lot of other shows here and there as well. When we were releasing the album, it was kind of getting to be a transition point for us uh, where we were trying to see whether we could break out of the country and like uh, go outside and do something, maybe as a band, maybe as individual musicians or something. But uh, before we did anything, we wanted to like record the songs that were our favorites and uh, play it a few times, put it on tape and CD and uh, stuff like that. Wow, it's crazy that you talk about college competitions because like I was looking up uh, and you guys played at like Riot, which was the one in uh, Bombay, RIAT. Right. Uh, you guys played IIT, Delhi and one also. And then of course... Delhi, Chennai. Yeah. yeah. And then of course the big one, at least in Bangalore, is NLS, right? Strawberry yeah. Fields. I feel that's been the major shift in the last 10 odd years, right? In the Indian music right. scene where, like you said, bands would actually get to hone their skills live. And it was brutal, yeah. right? To be honest. I mean, I don't know whether it was brutal or not, because I mean, at the end of the day, most of the guys and bands are not really in it for the money or anything. They aren't going to have to pay rent based out of uh, things like that. So it's it's just uh, a way to get in front of an audience. And the competition was pretty fierce. A lot of the shows, especially shows like NLS and stuff, where uh, NLS was a good show to compete in. You'd have like 40 to 60 bands sometimes uh, spread out over two days uh, in the semi-pro thing is what they used to call it. And uh, it had a reasonable amount of prize money as well. So if you won, I think like in 2006 to 2007 or something, it was 50 to 60,000 rupees or something like that. And uh, it was interesting because like you ended up knowing most of the bands that kept playing shows like that. Like uh, we met Sahil like uh, uh, at shows like that. We met... Uh, uh, Kryptos, Trinity, Mindsnare, all uh, you know, all the Bangalore guys. We basically met at shows like that. And uh, NLS is a show where I've been going ever since like '98 or '99 or something. I think uh, Yas played with her 
one of our first bands called Angel Dust, uh, which was a Bangalore band back in 97 or 98. And they covered Judas Priest and stuff. I think the Sentinel or something like that. Wow. Uh, which was pretty awesome. And uh, yeah, so NLS was great. It was like, you know, you go there, you meet all your uh, metal family people, you hang out and uh, you're all there for a purpose. So, you you know, it doesn't feel like you're just screwing around. You have your instruments with you. You have uh, practiced your ass off for that. And uh, you get like a 20 minute slot in which you got to prove yourself. So that's not that easy like all the time. Uh, but the good thing about it is also like, uh, especially looking at the scene in the US and stuff, you have a full backline. You have amps, a drum kit, you have everything. You just go with your guitar and a cable and you can plug in and you can play. Granted, a lot of people would get their FX processors and pedal boards and things like that. But uh, the drummer basically just walks up and sets up a couple cymbals and uh, a double bass uh, pedal and they can play. But uh, here in the States, you got to like cart everything around and a band and, you know, it's, it's a pain in the ass. Mm -hmm. So that's, that's one of the good things about that. Yeah. Actually, you know what Sahil did mention to me that the first time he saw you play was not with Mindsnare, but this was, I think. With Trinity. Trinity. Yeah. You played with Trinity with, uh, at Livewire, which is the IIT Bombay, Amur Indigo, sorry. Yeah, Yeah. Yes, the, that time that he first right. met you. Yeah, that was a, that was in the nineties, sometime probably. Wow, right? two thousand one or something is when Weinstein basically started happening. Two thousand is when I put out that extremely shitty four song thing that I had, like <laughs> recorded at home with like an FM synthesis audio card that I could barely afford and stuff, which is extremely shit. Wow. Wow. But yeah, so I, in the 90s. Yeah, but one thing I do remember is at least, and this is where Sahil again uh, plays a recurring role. I remember going to his house because he's at that time he was like stocking band CDs from all over India and stuff right. like that. And right. uh, there was just like a CD yeah. with uh, just the artwork, and it mm. came with like a two side printed four page, I mean, a two side yeah. page thing with the lyrics. And that was a preliminary quest. And that was my first introduction. To uh, uh, Mindsnet, actually. I apologize. <laughs> <laughs> it's a rare collector's item now. Yeah. Oh my God. I've got a couple of copies sitting uh, right there uh, among the rest of the you know band stuff and all that. Yeah, that was that was interesting though because that I basically recorded at home on uh, computers that. Uh, my dad had this computer rental uh, thing going at that point. So I had access to computers, but at any moment they could be taken out and given out on rent. So it was a <laughs> kind of complicated situation where I'll either have a computer on which I can record or I'll only end up with a hard drive waiting for something to come back so that I can plug the hard drive in and <laughs> be able to continue. So, yeah, it was it was interesting, but... Uh, uh, that thing was recorded at home, plugging into a you know Creative Labs Sound Blaster card using a bunch of uh, phono adapters. I don't even know how I managed to put that together. Like zero equipment. Tell us in terms of at least from there, you talked about doing that. 
right. when you look at conditioned human right you guys recorded it at uh, clay kelton's uh, <laughs> studio which will have yeah. tagged as beware of dog studio beware of dog studio <laughs> yeah he doesn't have a name for the studio the only thing on the gate is beware of dog so <laughs> 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 but t- tell me yeah. what it, what it was like like now making that transition into you know an actual studio uh, so, in there yeah by the time we actually went to the studio we had like you know it wasn't as uh, desperate times as back in uh, 99 2000 when i did the original uh, thing the difference in going to a studio was mainly the amount of uh, finesse needed to record drums correctly because uh mainly with drums right you can't really rework the sound that much with guitar it's possible because uh what you can do is like what we did do is record all the uh dry tracks and once we have the dry tracks you can reamp it you can like put it through various kinds of modeling and things like that so it's okay to screw up a little bit with the sound as long as the playing's fine but with drums you can't really do that with acoustic drums you got to get the miking right you got to get the uh skins tuned right you got to like uh make sure that you're not uh putting mics in a way that makes things go out of phase or something when you mix uh different channels in because you can't recover from that and once you move the drum kit you can't like get the exact same sound so you aren't going to be able to like screw up a song a little bit and then go back to the studio a week later week later set up the drums again and patch in or something like that it's not going to sound good so that was that's a challenge because you know that it has to be done right before you exit the place and also you know you're paying a lot more for a studio than you are when you're sitting at home and recording so uh got to get that practice you got to get there on time all that stuff uh but uh clay studio was pretty cool it was a pretty small place um uh, but uh, he had what we needed uh he had a place for uh, uh recording drums he had a, a reasonable vocal booth and uh he was pretty quick at you know uh, tracking and all that uh, if we tell him to you know punch in here start here stop there and stuff like that he was adjusting to us really quick so it was good now a recent interview that uh, the band has done revealed that the album wasn't recorded to a click track right right and like that takes balls because especially at that time and especially with this kind of music how did that decision uh, come about and how really well, that- did it affect pre-production as well as the recording process that was mainly something that yes really wanted to do because she felt that having a click track is going to make the uh music sound mechanical because it already is kind of mechanical it's like a lot of parts kind of you know copy pasted together and made to flow kind of in some uh, some ways you might say because that's what the genre is uh but if we recorded with a click track it would probably be a little too perfect in terms of structure and tempo and things like that and you would kind of lose the human element of it and uh, i uh, absolutely disagreed with everything about that but uh, i got overruled so we recorded with uh, without a click track and uh, <laughs> in hindsight 
I think that was the right choice because it does sound a little more organic and uh, it, it did make life a lot harder when it came to um, recording guitars over it. So what we did was she recorded the drums first and everything else was recorded on top of that. And uh, we'd been playing those songs live for so much uh, time that it was actually possible to do that. Like uh, she knew the parts uh, that well, she could hum the song in her mind and uh, do it. So <clears throat> we recorded the drums, did the guitars uh, at, uh, uh, yeah, I think at my place uh, at that time. I, I don't act actually remember exactly where we recorded. Uh, but it was with our own equipment and the bass as well. And after doing that, uh, we went back to the studio and uh, recorded uh, my vocals for that because uh, you need a decent place, acoustically decent room in order to record vocals. So we went back there. Do you remember what was the most challenging song to record? I think probably Use the Pain because it's got some transitions where there's a lot of blank space before the next part comes in. And if the drums are already recorded, I can't just look back over my shoulder and see when she's going to come in and stuff. And there are certain live things like, you know, you count things in live that you don't do on an album. And if you don't have the count in uh, to assist you, then, you know, uh, you got to like figure it out. And uh, the figuring out happened by, screwing up like 10 times and then figuring out exactly how much ahead or behind you are and then getting it right after that. And uh, yeah, the transitions were the hardest part, but thankfully for a lot of the songs, there aren't blank spaces um, in the song. Uh, there aren't too many blank spaces in the songs. So when it's like that, it's okay. It's not that big a deal because you can get the feel of the tempos uh, changing and stick with it. I have to say that even though it's 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 not recorded on a click, everything just sounds so precise and sharp. I mean, especially the moment and it and it hits you right from the time you begin the album because changing skins itself begins with just staccato hits, right? With pauses, so. Excellent feat, especially to like, I, I'm pretty sure everybody put in their work and Clay too, definitely must have had a huge hand in making sure that everything happened exactly the way you guys wanted it to. Thank you. I think it was mainly Yas's uh, uh, precision that led to the thing overall sounding like that, because that's what we were, the rest of us were following when we were recording our parts. Uh, you know, Conditioned Human was uh, released at a resurrection show that Sahil, uh, aka right. Demon Steeler, organized in Mumbai. And you all played alongside Demonic Resurrection, Devoid, Exhumation. Right. Other than us showing you that video, do you have any kind of memories from that show? Not very specific memories, honestly. Uh, I just uh, remember feeling really happy that, uh, you know, Rolling Stone in India would actually uh, deign to put our name on their uh, uh, cover and stuff like that, which was really cool. And uh, going by that interview, I, I actually don't remember which show this happened at, but 
going by the interview that you showed me, I think it was at this show that I actually got a chip in my tooth from some guy in the audience head banging, fell over onto the microphone, microphone hit my face and we were playing a cover of Rain and Blood, uh, Slayer's Rain and Blood and uh, it uh, kind of broke my tooth and it was interesting. We, you know, continued playing obviously because uh, it's metal to do so, but yeah. <laughs> yeah, that was an interesting experience. Yeah, now you did mention uh, Rolling Stone India, right? So right. what happens post the album release is that con- condition human manages to break through and get noticed in our scene, right? Like here's everyone kind of talking about it. I mean, while that happened was because it was well received by publications all across the world also, right? I mean, you had Rolling Stone India in there, but all across. Why do you think that happened? All across the world, I think it's uh, partially at those times, uh, like, I mean, it's just 10 years, it's not a very long time, but uh, especially after moving to the States, I started realizing that people were continually surprised that there was a metal scene in India, because uh, in a lot of senses, uh, India is still seen to be the image that, you know, all the tourists, you know, uh companies try to project so you know all the bullshit yoga stuff and all that but it's probably something that people find interesting because you don't think that extreme metal is going to come from a country like india i mean we know better but if you tell me some pick some random country that i have no idea about and i have a preconceived notion about it and then you tell me that they've got this like serious uh tech death band or something, I might be surprised as well. So that kind of thing. Actually, when I think about it, well, I was looking up some of the reviews that were then, right? Because some of these websites still are around. It starts yeah. off by saying like, oh my God, right. I didn't expect like a tech deck metal band or I didn't know there's like a death yeah. metal band uh, in India. Right. And uh, honestly, I mean, we know that it wasn't that uncommon, right? Like there were many bands in India, even at that time doing that kind of stuff. But uh, and right now there are even more. Uh, there are things people will automatically assume if they know you are from one place or another. And uh, it, it is just what it is because uh, everyone doesn't know people from everywhere. That's all. I know you're going to cringe at this, but hence giving <laughs> you the heads up. But for me personally, yeah. the highlight for the album was Layers of Hypocrisy, right? Just the mm-hmm. kind of way the uh, track has kind of evolved and now to hear it on the reissue because I managed to hear, I got a preview of it. It just kind of so many years, right? And it kind of brings back so many memories. Like I was telling you, <laughs> buying the uh, a preliminary quest EP. So yeah, that, that for me was the highlight of the album. For me, it's always been use the pain and temporal movements because use the pain I, is my favorite. Oh yeah. Awesome. Thank you. And <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll tell you why, because when I yeah. first heard mind snare it was when i was getting into death metal and how i was getting into death metal was through chuck schuldiner and through death and yes. especially uh symbolic and especially a sound of perseverance and maybe yeah. a little bit of individual thought patterns so mm. after you've been listening to that you discover that there's a band from your own country who's doing this kind of music and especially use the pain because it it 
it has both the the techy heavy parts as well as the melodic uh, parts which kind of defined the latter era of death too right right and yeah so those two songs like always stood out um, got the cd uh, listened to it pretty much till i wore the cd off was delighted that i that somebody uploaded the album on youtube eventually was delighted yeah. when the album eventually in its original shape got uh, hosted on apple music immediately added it immediately downloaded it and now oh, it's awesome. excellent so that there is the sorry so you were the guy who downloaded it kp <laughs> <laughs> kp still like that's the royalties that kp saw <laughs> <laughs> yeah the, the the additional sense that you got in your account that month were probably due to me then right <laughs> yeah but, but thanks man i really appreciate i really appreciate uh, all of that and uh, yeah that's pretty much i think why all of us were trying to make that kind of music to like make people feel things like what you described you felt listening it's it's an honor to be able to you know write something that people actually want to listen to like that on of their own accord we talked about us what is the song that you're the most proudest of on the album or your proudest it of it is used a pain it is definitely used a pain and uh, the reason why is because more of the uh, more because of the lyrics than the music uh, i think the music fit the lyrics really well uh, so i wrote the lyrics uh, about depression and about uh, like trying to write my way out of depression uh, like write music and about how you can't really generate music that you can be proud of if you don't have a certain amount of sadness or depression or loss or negative emotions of some sort to uh you know to to get that stuff from the creative juices from and uh that that was very personal so every time i performed it it was like extremely cathartic and it felt good to play that song and I don't think I ever got bored of playing that song because it's not about anger it's not about uh you know it's not the reason layers got boring was because after a point yeah you know people are hypocritical they are uh, a lot of them are assholes and idiots and whatever but you get bored of saying that but when you're talking about an introspective topic like uh use the pain i personally don't get bored of that because it's cathartic in a different way each time based on whatever you're going through at that point in time how happy were you with the original release as an album um i was reasonably happy because i don't think the guitar sounded as good as it should have sounded and there were reasons for it um there were like um there was a certain lack of expensive equipment used in the recording um there were a couple things like we didn't have like fully dry tracks for the solos because there were some effects that uh, like the wah pedal and things like that were needed to be recorded and that's a human thing right you can't really 
I mean, you could technically draw filter lines on a, a digital audio workstation and make that happen, but it won't sound good. So it has to be recorded directly. And that meant that the tone was baked in, which wasn't ideal. So there were some issues like that. Um, Anupam's managed to work around a lot of the tonal mismatches between the rhythm tone and the solo tone. Like he's done a great job during this uh, process, but the initial time you could like immediately hear the path changing when the rhythm went into the solo. And I like absolutely hated that, but we couldn't figure out what to do about it. So, you know, it, it, it was what it was. So that was one thing I didn't like. Another thing was um, we had like another three or four songs that we'd written and uh, we didn't put it on the album. And I do have some regrets about that because we used to play those live. I've completely forgotten them now. I don't think there are any recordings, but there were at least three full songs that we had gotten down together as band. We played them uh, at a couple of shows in the States over here as well. But I... I wouldn't be able to like uh, remember even a single riff from any of them. So yeah, uh, that is a regret. I wish we included more songs in the album as well. Over the last decade or so, um, how many times have you gone back and listened to the album again, the original edition as such? How has how has that <laughs> Just... experience been? Was it? Were you were you showing it off to people or were you like this is yeah usually were you, were you taking a trip down to uh, memory lane of sorts? Uh, maybe a couple times, but only when I'm like going through old stuff on my hard drives and trying to figure out what it was, and then I'll find oh I recorded this at this point, and then I'll like get into this wormhole of listening to stuff. Uh, also, when showing it to people, because a lot of people who I meet now don't know me as a uh, live musician and I look different. I don't have the long hair. I don't uh, <laughs> play gigs anymore. So sometimes it's nice to uh, kind of broaden um, like, you know, close friends, of course. I don't like uh, abuse my colleagues with uh, the music all the time, but, you know. Or don't walk into like something wearing a Cannibal Cobbs t-shirt or a dead t-shirt. Oh, right? that I do. Oh yeah, oh yeah. I mean, it's I work at Fender, dude. Like everyone wears shit like that. <laughs> yeah, like if you walk into the offices wearing a Cannibal Corpse shirt, uh, at least eighty percent of the people would have heard Cannibal Corpse. Nice. It's not, nice. It's not. Yeah, it's a fantastic place to work at. So when you did go back and listen to the album again, uh, when you revisited it, for whatever reason it may have been, uh, how was that experience like? Did it manage to hold up to your benchmark of sorts? I think so. Um, I kind of drifted in a slightly different direction with Fractline after uh, Mindsnare. I think Mindsnare has a lot of the thrash and speed metal kind of uh, stuff in it that Fractline didn't really. And uh, I'm actually, in my listening, I'm closer to that than I am to the Fractline music. Uh, Fractline was a lot more technically challenging to play and write and perform. Mindsnare, it was hard enough because I was singing and playing, so that made it uh, more complicated anyway. I'm not really sure how to answer that question really, though. Uh, Let's put it this way. 
early recordings of the stuff that I've been part of, I hate listening to them because they just sound cringy as shit, right? Right. Uh, and at that point in time, obviously, when you record them, it would have been the greatest thing on planet Earth. But right. when you listen back, you you would just be like criticizing yourself about, damn, I wish I could have done this. I wish I I had the experience that I have now. Right. And then there's stuff that we've that that you've been part of uh, that you record, and it seems like the perfect um, the perfect recording of the time and place that you were supposed to be in in your life I at think, that point in time. I think conditioned human is kind of like that. I think uh, the preliminary quest and uh, the mind snare, one thing which uh, none of you have mentioned yet, and I hope you don't listen to it. But uh, <laughs> those, two, those two are kind of cringy, especially the mind snare, one thing which some unfortunate soul has uploaded to YouTube. So you can wow. listen if you want. <laughs> uh, that is really bad. That was, that's the one. Uh, earlier when I was talking about recording at home through a sound card and stuff, I was referring to mind snare one, not preliminary quest. Preliminary quest was in a studio, but no, not a very good studio. It was recorded on tape and stuff. It wasn't recorded on a computer. Oh, wow. I didn't know that. Yeah. So, yeah, that the mind snare one thing is like cringy. Very cringy. I mean, even you guys will cringe and you'll probably decide not to have this podcast after that. <laughs> nah. or maybe it'll become the like you know maybe it'll become or whatever we will we'll get into rarities as such and unreleased <laughs> stuff a bit later oh, okay so you know now that uh, the album is being released by subcontinental records and uh, you know Arun was on the podcast uh, a few months ago uh, when he released Moral Corrupt so he kind of gave us an exclusive of sorts but uh, yes. Tell us from your perspective, like how did the, what sparked the idea to get this done? I mean, how did that happen? So basically, Arun just wrote us all an email one day and said that uh, he thinks it'll be a good time to uh, do a remaster and that, uh, you know, he helped us uh, set up the uh, release show in Bangalore for the album as well, like back then. So, uh, yeah, we spoke about it and, uh, uh, spoke to Anupam and Anupam was excited about it because uh, the uh, because Conditioned Human had been one of his first like proper metal things back then, uh, you know, especially with live drums and stuff like that. And he wanted to redo it now, given all the learning over the last uh, 12, 13 years. And he's been active constantly throughout all that time. So he's been gaining a lot of experience. So yeah, it, it seemed like a good thing. Uh, we knew we weren't going to be creating any more music. So if we have a chance to make it sound better, might as well just do that and leave it at that. You know, there's um, no reason to say no. If nobody really cares about it, nobody cares about it. That's fine. But at least we'll have a better quality rendition of the same songs. Okay. So this time around, when you started yeah. work on it as such, um was there any blueprint drawn or references given uh, to Anupam or did he already know what what kind of sound he you guys wanted yeah. as such? Uh, what he was did. the approach really like this time? The approach was basically giving all the stems and the raw 
uh, guitar tracks and stuff like i have it uh, saved on the cloud somewhere and uh, i just like sent it to him and uh, it was up to him to do whatever he wanted basically and we trusted him to do what he thought was right and uh, obviously we had like four or five back and forths uh, of uh, uh pre final mixes and masters and stuff like that and uh we gave some feedback it wasn't like any major feedback because there were no edits to be done right all the edits were frozen in place anyway and usually that's the more complicated thing like there is this little piece of here that's not sounding fitting correctly and things but that was already done and we couldn't change it even if we wanted to uh so it was just some and he's pretty good at it so it wasn't that hard to get <laughs> something that we were you know, i I'm, i'm sure anupam will be like thanks for the compliment he'll be pretty good <laughs> what hey, what's weird I is pretty good <laughs> he wouldn't have agreed to do this again if it wasn't something he was interested in and i know that he really enjoys mixing yas's drums as well because she hits with a lot of power there's a lot of definition there's a lot of dynamics uh, in the recording so there's a lot to work with and that can also make an engineer's job uh, you know harder but more rewarding because it's going to sound better when you get things right yeah like we didn't really have to tell him what to do or anything of that sort whatsoever yeah even the first time around like even the time that uh, Frackline played in India. The show we did in Delhi, uh, he came out and did the sound for us, and it was great. Good. And uh, the time before that, that I played in Bangalore, I think it was for the Bangalore Metal Project during the NH7 festival. Uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. He was doing the sound over there as well, and like somehow he managed manages to get my shitty voice to sound halfway decent live, which is great. <laughs> so you know first of all i must give you kudos for actually having you know the stems and all the recordings on cloud because a lot of the indian bands that we talk to right especially from that era have no idea right. where the recordings are i mean they're like oh it, it's it's on the studios hard drive and i think they deleted it and all of that so yeah i'm glad at least you've got that but take us back to that time because you talked about there were like five or six uh, back in, uh, revisions in terms of the mixes and all of that right take us back to the time that you actually heard the first track like what was the feeling then oh it it felt like a modern uh album finally because it it sounded at the same time smoother and slicker but uh, more powerful and direct at the same time which is really nice because i really do not enjoy listening to uh, extreme metal that doesn't have good production because it's just annoying after a point uh, but this sounded friendly to the ear without uh, taking away any of the in your faceness that it needs to have to sound the way we want it to sound and that i think is the thing that only a good engineer can bring up because you need it to sound heavy and brutal and uh like uh you know like and metal but at the same time 
you want it to have the quality that uh, if you if you listen to that kind of tone for 10 hours on end your ears shouldn't get tired and that balance is like not easy yeah especially when you have um instruments that are that are doing so much and right. not everything is sticking to the root note or just following one melody right. and yeah. everything needs space for us on the exactly yeah it's 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 not your traditional pop song as such where it needs to just sound like oh. one hummable melody at the end of the day each and right. every part needs to be heard in its own unique way in use the pain if uh, you know the song uh, sandy's bass parts take on uh, prominence uh, at a few places in the song and with a lot of people we'd have to like tell the engineer that this needs to happen at this point and stuff but you know anupam knows the genre he knows the songs he knows us so it just happens it's it's like magic it's pretty cool so is this the way you intended for the album to sound in the first place given if you had the chance to do it over yeah totally this would have been like we would have been extremely happy if it had sounded like this the first time you you don't know how it's going to sound in the future that makes the past uh, version sound worse so like we were really happy with how it sounded at that point as well okay so the thing is while arun did talk to us uh, about the remaster coming out and the reissue of the mm-hmm. album and all of that but it just suddenly dropped right uh, earlier this month right did you expect it to generate a buzz like it has has it generated a buzz <laughs> i'm sitting a little far away from you guys <laughs> i mean i know of the rolling stone uh, india thing uh, you know the write up and i think they added used the paint to the uh playlist or something some spotify playlist uh, they tagged my instagram account with that and there's you guys but what 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 are the buzz i don't know if there's any other buzz <laughs> I, I, there are a bunch of 30 40 year olds right now who probably like on and use their credit cards or <laughs> credit cards and debit cards which they didn't exist right. <laughs> and now suddenly they've got yeah. hit with like, a lot more a lot more downloads coming your way on apple music yeah. Or, or suddenly, like Bandcamp, <laughs> Band Bandcamp. Suddenly, you see like Mind Snare back. Who's this band, right? <laughs> New and notable on Bandcamp. <laughs> oh, really? No, I'm that's, just saying. Cool. No, I'm just saying <laughs> that that would oh. be kind of funny to see, right? <laughs> yeah. No, but at the same time, you know, uh, what's weird is that yes, we we joke about it, but there is. there is talk there is appreciation of the fact that mindsnare have gone out and done this and yes it may be a lot of um it may be just fueled by a nostalgia trip of sorts but right. there is appreciation and people are looking forward to this release just given not. the kind of people we've spoken uh, to about it right um having said that though how like is there any expectation from your side as to how this remaster is going to be received uh no not really i mean from our side it was more for 
kind of selfish reasons you know like wanting to have a better quality recording of the thing that we can remember it by in the long run when we are like 70 years old and we need hearing aids we can actually hear something that sounds a little better but uh um uh, i think arun also wanted to release this on his label because he wanted certain types of music on his label and uh, he didn't have enough of certain types of music so he thought it'll kill two birds with one stone as well i think that was another motivation but expectations wise we aren't going to be a band again so of what point is any expectation you know if we were going to be playing live then we'd have a lot of expectations we'd like want to see what kind of shows we can get uh, because of where this has reached and how many people might turn out to those shows that kind of stuff and that's what i'm used to but now since i don't have a live band it, none of that matters anymore so what happens happens yeah okay so now i know you did mention earlier that there were three four mindsnare songs that you know you never ended up putting to record right but right. it wasn't there but was that while you all were discussing the reissue and the remaster was there a chat on adding you know other songs or you know probably like a lot of you've seen major labels do it right or especially forget everyone else just see the blacklist right where them releasing yeah. a bunch of like demos and all of that i mean i kind of thought about that but i didn't even get to the point of suggesting that to either of the other two because it would mean a lot of work and right now i just can't see that we've got the time and bandwidth to be able to do that at least i don't because between work and the kid and uh, the amount of time i keep aside for myself i i just don't have time to do that and man kids take a lot of time do either yep. of you have kids sandy and yas didn't suggest anything like that either uh neither did aron so yeah so 13 years have passed since the album first came out right and a lot of people will actually be discovering the album and hopefully discovering mind snare because of this remaster and this reissue would you say that the songs on conditioned human remain relevant today do you think do you think as an album and as songs these songs yeah. have kind of matured well I think lyrically a lot of the songs are actually more relevant today than they were back then because uh honestly I don't think any of us thought shit would hit the fan this bad uh in the next 10 years uh, uh even before the pandemic like at least sitting in the US it was really not serving someone like Trump as like the fucking president uh and you know India is in an interesting state right now as well so that kind of thing is what a lot of the songs were about it was you know layers of hypocrisy is like something you you beat me to it i was just going to be like yeah. <laughs> at this point like every point you can just hear the respectful layers <laughs> of hypocrisy <laughs> as you were right. talking <laughs> right then uh, there's a lot of uh, conditioned human itself is about uh a lot of things that condition people into being who they are and uh, a lot of it is about religion about uh you know like religion is a big part of uh that and uh i'm obviously an atheist and i think religion is something that was really good at controlling people 
for a really long time uh, but right now it's doing a lot of harm and uh, i think that's going to remain true for a long time i think that kind of thing is going to be relevant for a long time as long as religions exist which you know it's not going away anytime soon and uh, uh, like to take another song like use the pain uh, depression uh, being the source of creativity is probably always going to be a thing uh, and uh, alter ego is another song that uh, uh, yas had the idea for and we wrote the lyrics uh, that's a song about uh i i think we were talking about like some performers like shaldener and a uh, few others that we really uh felt strongly about and uh it's a song about how they are important only as long as their audience is satisfied and as long as they put out music that doesn't satisfy the audience or they behave in a way that doesn't satisfy the audience they're gone and it doesn't matter anymore so it's from the point of view of a person like that uh talking about how they exist only as long as the audience is kept satisfied and how kind of shitty that is in so in a lot of ways so that kind of thing is also you know that's a little metaphysical kind of or whatever but i think the relevance of that kind of lyrical theme is not going to change because it is tied to the human condition and uh musically i think a lot of the stuff in that album is going to probably remain relevant in a more retro trash kind of way rather than uh what uh, we thought it was technical metal then it may or may not be that now because after gent has come along and after you know with bands like animals as leaders periphery uh meshuga has always been there and they're, they're fucking crazy but uh a lot of the new tech stuff is like way more tech than anything we were able to or will be able to do so i don't know whether that's going to stay relevant but in a more retro trash kind of way i think probably maybe hmm okay so how would you like conditioned human and overall as such mindset to be remembered uh personally speaking if it made more people read the lyrics and introspect and start really thinking about things that they take for granted and just accept it as the way it is uh if they start thinking about those things in a rational critical way that would basically be the goal of the album that's it it's not even about the music that much it's about like critical thinking Alrighty then. I think it's about time that we play a few of the tracks from the reissue. You heard on the chat that our favorites are uh, Use the Pain and Layers of Hypocrisy. So let's play them back to back starting with Use the Pain. Use the same Use the same of me 
You just heard Use the Pain and Layers of Hypocrisy from the remixed and remastered reissue of Condition Human by Mindsnare, a feed pulled off by Subcontinental Records. And now let's get into a chat with the band's bassist, Sandesh Nagarajan, or as we better know him, Sandy. Hi, Sandesh. Welcome to Horns Up. Uh, where are you at the moment and what's keeping you busy these days? Yeah, thanks so much for the invite. Um, so I'm in Seattle in uh, Washington and I'm uh, doing my doctoral studies here in uh, music composition at uh, the University of Washington where I'm also a teaching assistant. Um, so I'll be starting that this fall. Um, moved here in 2018 to do grad school. Um, yeah, so that's keeping me busy, that teaching and uh, a lot of music. Yeah, no, no wonder you have so many, or you can keep up with all the bands and all of that. That totally makes sense. <laughs> all right. But, you know, we're here to talk to you about the reissue of the Mindsnare album, Conditioned Human, which is releasing 13 years, right? Post yeah. uh, when it first came out. So yeah. quick reaction from you. Does it really feel like it's been 13 years? It does. <laughs> yeah, it, yeah. It, I don't know. It seems like it was, yeah, it happened a long time ago. Yeah. But also I was, I think 17, no, 16, I think when I joined the band and 17 when I recorded the album. So yeah, I'm, I'm 33 now. So I just, it, it was a while ago. Okay. We don't have to put this. So now I totally get why uh, when I showed the album release video, to KP, he's like, we literally picked up Sandesh. Now it makes sense why you look that young. Because you were like, oh my God, you were just like still in your teenage, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was like, I had no idea what I was doing, but <laughs> yeah. Take us back to that time. I mean, like, you know, what were some of the standout memories? Because you just said that you were still a teenager at that time when you joined the band. You know, yeah, I was like 16, I think, or maybe just turning 17 when they asked me to play and I looked up to like Mindsnare growing up, you know. Uh, Mindsnare, Kryptos, these were like bands that I would take a bus, like public transport, you know, two buses to this like venue to like see these guys and uh, and I was playing in a band called Extinct Reflections at the time. Yeah, and I was like fans of these guys and when they asked me to play bass, I was like kind of surprised. I was like, me? Why? And you know, they were like, oh no, you know, you'd be a good fit and so on and so forth. Um, so yeah, I joined the band and it was kind of like, everything happened really quick. They told me that, you know, they were in the process of recording an album. And so I had to learn all the songs um, pretty quick and like practice. And I'd never played bass in a band before. So it took a little bit of time to like, just understand what it means to be a bass player in a band, you know, because a lot of us guitar players end up falling into this like rut of playing bass like a guitar. Um, and which also worked out because there's like in the album and I just listened to it, there's like a lot of like melodies and stuff that's been played on the bass, which kind of complements what KP's doing. Um, but yeah, so they told me, you know, like we're going to start recording soon. So I learned all the stuff and, uh, yeah, we went into the studio. I did all the bass parts at, uh, Yasmin's uh, home studio. Yeah, it was like pretty crazy because, I mean, especially the drum tracking because, you know, we didn't use any click track or anything and Yasmin was just knocking all the songs just like 
out of the park in like single takes sometimes and you know that was like awesome to like witness you know while she was recording i remember i was in the control booth just like learning the songs um and i was kind of you know intimidated and a little, little scared because i want to do a good job you know um so yeah it was pretty intense it was uh, a lot of fun um an amazing learning experience and yeah I, uh, yeah honestly yeah i'm pretty proud of it like when i heard it you know after such a long time i'm like yeah man this sounds pretty good you know <laughs> like i'd show this to my kids <laughs> this is very interesting because i honestly i didn't think uh, or i didn't know that uh, this was your first album as a bassist as such how did you like just wrap your head around all of this the fact and and as you said like because you looked up to these guys the pressure was clearly on yeah no it was and you know, things happened very quick in the beginning and i didn't have time to like think too much so which was a good thing because i had to just like get things done um so i just you know had to figure it out and i just remember spending pretty much all day for like months just practicing bass at home uh learning you know all the hard riffs and stuff and at the same time going to school uh, playing with extinct and yeah and but i never like got stressed out it was like a lot of fun because you know i love doing this this stuff so um yeah i just somehow figured it out i think when you're just like in the fire you just you know you don't have a choice but to just like the bass parts then how much of them were already there or like was the foundation already there or were you just told hey here's the canvas here's what i'm doing here's what yasmin is doing do your thing i would say it's like 60% do whatever uh and 40% here's what the guitars and drums are doing you know do this kind of thing um yeah and i think you know they had a lot of trust in me and they and um we worked on one song together where i wrote the bass parts changing skins and i think that gave them um a lot of confidence and and then they were like yeah just we can do whatever we want kind of thing what was the most challenging song to write and to record do you remember i think uh within a mind misshapen uh that was pretty hard um cuz there's like some parts where we decided it would sound cool to have the bass double the guitar um and not follow the drums and you know the riffs were like pretty hard to play on the guitar itself and like you know playing that on the bass you know I'm trying to figure out okay how can i play this uh, without making it sound you know like got to figure out like muting and like um not letting the strings ring out and you know you can't like i'm saying like you can't play it like a guitar um so there was a lot of like that kind of stuff um so i would yeah i mean i don't know all the songs were hard but i think that was like the hardest <laughs> okay and and which one was the one that you thoroughly enjoyed playing and maybe still do i don't know if you've ever revisited playing these songs uh, in the recent past but yeah i'm not but i i remember uh, temporal movements was my favorite one to play all right so you know for me personally the one of the highlights of the album is uh layers of hypocrisy i know like kp was like oh my god like that song cuz he's really like kind of over it but uh yeah for me i mean i heard, i remember hearing it on a primly quest and then like oh. hearing it on the album and i could kind of see the difference and 
now hearing it on the reissue with the remaster and everything that anupam's done it kind of takes a new life right my favorite tracks of the album are use the pain and temporal movements okay. which is great right yeah. and um so the question then essentially like is what's the song that you that you are the most proudest of uh, proudest of we know that temporal movements is the song that you enjoy most yeah. but is that yeah. the one that you're most proudest of as well um hmm well maybe changing skins if it's if you ask me which song i'm you, you mean in terms of like the bass parts right in terms of is yeah, it because terms, you wrote it's, the it's, bass parts your yeah. perspective man <laughs> I think temporal movements. Temporal movements. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, because I think it's just it just moves so hard and it's melodic and um, yeah, I think that stuck with me the most. And I really enjoyed just playing that live because also I could just like let go and just like play and not think too much. And and now obviously just talk to us a little bit about changing skins. Oh. Yeah that was the first song that where like you know I joined the band and they were like okay you're like writing the song so we would want you to like come up with your own bass parts and uh and then I just you know went all out and like try to impress them as much as I can <laughs> I think and there's like this tapping bass part for like the solo backing which um yeah I spent like weeks just like coming up with like something that would like work and uh which I'm pretty proud of and they loved it too um So yeah, and I guess that's that's the song that kind of gave them like the trust too. So all right, so you know, considering this was the first album that you recorded, how happy were you with the original release? Oh yeah, I was. I remember being super excited. Yeah, we were at a bar in Bombay with the Bayanak Mouth guys, uh, getting like hammered on. Uh, Long Island Ice Tea, and I think we were playing like ping pong or something. And like I remember, Arthur <laughs> showed up many hours later, you know, with like a box of CDs that like freshly, you know, uh, pressed. And I remember like, you know, holding the CD, and I was like really proud and really excited. Um, and there were like all these plans about like playing shows and uh, kind of doing like a CD release thing. Yeah, I remember being like super excited and just like being on. on the road <laughs> and like playing <laughs> yeah that that was like tours back then right yeah. uh, so i must ask you i mean like you know over the last decade or so because yeah. you again it's like your first album right that you recorded and stuff how often or how many times have you kind of gone back uh, to listen to it and like what do you think i mean like honestly okay so in last like decade or so i think i've listened to that album maybe twice but is yeah. it something that you like show as reference that to your friends or peers or whoever now that you're studying oh, at music school right uh not really no i've never until recently until like it got like remixed and remastered i showed it to like uh, a couple of my friends here but yeah yeah i was like i think we were all kind of like pretty removed from it because um, we you know just went on doing other things and but sometimes i would get like nostalgic and like put it on but i, I, I don't know maybe just twice in like the last 10 years 12 years okay so fair enough since you said that you know you kind of removed from the whole 
uh, thing, especially like, you know, it's been so many years. Uh, and of course, you've done a variety of like different kinds of music now. But take me back to that moment where you first heard like the first track or the first, the entire album together remastered once Anupam kind of dropped it on, I don't know, Dropbox or something like that. Yeah, I was like really happy when I first heard it because it had been so long. And I think that actually, I'm glad that I didn't like, I was like so far removed from it because when I heard it, it was like super fresh. It was as though I listened to it for the first time and it didn't really feel like I was like part of the band either. It was like as though, as though I was listening to like a band that I was not part of, um, which uh, I think was was good because like I was able to like enjoy the music without associating with it that way. Um, yeah, and I just remember like yeah, I'd forgotten like so many parts and like so many like even like songs even, and I was like whoa, I mean, yeah, I never, I don't know. it felt like super fresh and like um, and that's when I thought you know again like after like twelve or thirteen years or something that man this is really good you know and especially like the drum performance and stuff is like insane and you know having heard like so many metal albums and like played with different metal drummers and stuff i'm still like wow like yasmin just kicked ass you know and like it, there was like no like it's like pure performance there's like no like i don't know example like whatever like replacement thing and like program stuff or whatever it's just like everything she's played is what it is and it's pretty crazy that um we you know that we did that so does what you hear on the remaster still hold up yeah yeah i think if it was done uh you know if i joined the band let's say when i was like if i was already playing bass for a while and i was like super proficient in it i feel like it would have sounded more polished but when i listen to it you know like it sounds more i don't know it has like some youthful youthfulness to it uh yeah which is which is what i like i think it doesn't sound like too pristine and um yeah so it kind of it's a snapshot of like you know where we were and where i was and uh and i think there's some truth to that so how do you expect the master to be received as such? Do you think it'll all just be fueled by a huge nostalgia trip, not just for the creators, but also for all the listeners? It would be great to like have a uh, you know, new audience receive this record too, because I think, um, yeah, it, it's, it's a really good record. And, but initially, you know, the guys in the band, we were like kind of uh, worried that the first initial posts that was made, you know, we were like, oh, we're going to disappoint fans because they're thinking we're getting back together and writing new music, but it's just like the same shit that's been like mixed and remastered, <laughs> you know? <laughs> so there was that, but uh, I, yeah, I think it'll be received well because you can like uh, uh, hear the parts, like, I mean, it has come to like, it's taken a new life, I think, this uh, recording now and, um, yeah, so I feel like at least like you know, my internet fans would um, be happy to hear um, the record in like this new light. There's some like freshness to it, and there's like 
it's uh, yeah uh final question then uh, how would you like mind snare and conditioned human uh to be remembered well maybe uh, um remembered as like a record that was you know that's like really unique um and raw and um i yeah i don't know it is <laughs> Okay how do yeah. you remember conditioned human how do you think like you will be remembering this album say 10 years down the line 20 years down the line uh for you personally yeah 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 at a personal level i feel like it was made at a time when um uh, we all had like some amazing like rich musical experiences there was a lot of music happening just even in the scene at that point i remember like you know my band extinct was like playing shows there was cryptos uh there was mindsnare there were like some other like projects happening around there was boomy and you know it just felt like the atmosphere was like pretty electric at the point at least for me because i was like 16 and starry eyed <laughs> so i was like wow there's so much music happening and it's all awesome Uh yeah I think that's what I'll remember I I think I'll remember like how uh how much music there was happening every single day and there was just so much excitement I think it's pretty clear from our chats that the band itself is pretty proud of the reissue right let's play a couple of more songs from the reissue the two songs that both KP and Sandy spoke about changing skins and temporal movements every day
cool. So that was changing skins and temporal movements from Mindsnatch conditioned human, the reissue. Man, how good does this reissue sound, right? Like Anupam, I think, has done a super job. And yes, uh, we're working on getting him on the pod to talk about it and a whole lot more. And yes, super kudos to Arun as well for managing to get this done because this is something that definitely deserved it. I'm going to go out on a limb and say that if the original album had this sound, the band and the album would definitely have been a much bigger deal than what it was. Right, Peter? You know, honestly, this was the time where the internet was just getting hold of, you know, that there was metal in India, right? And when we were talking to KP and Sandy, right, they were talking about how everyone was kind of amazed at it, right? And think about it, right? 13 years later, we're still talking about this album. People are still getting blown away that this was released in 2008. So, yeah, I mean, of course, hindsight is 2020, but yeah, this would have been a huge deal back then with this sound. I'm glad that it's happened now, nonetheless. Okay, so that's been one of the most detailed episodes we've done. I just wish we could have had a chat with Yasmin as well to completely round this one off. Yasmin, I hope if you're listening to this episode, I hope you agree with us. That's all we have on the show today. But before we go, here's a question for whoever's still listening. Is there any other Indian metal release that deserves a reissue? Let us know. Write into hornsuppod.com or on Twitter, we're at hornsuppod. Or reach out to us personally. I'm on Twitter at Asmoani. I'm at Trendcrusher. This is Hornsup. Hornsup, guys. <laughs>